welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, my friend, the brilliant, funny chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungess. How's it going, G? It is just going terrific. I am um, excited after the fall break, where I actually, like, took a break for a, a couple of days and uh, I decorate. I know that the listeners can't hear, but this is a live podcast. So I'm just going to like show my fabulous self-painted um, little holiday uh, tree with birds in it uh, thing. So there you and go. And move to the side. I can take a picture of it for everyone there to see. Go. Boom. Okay, good. <laughs> that is nice. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. So this is, we are live via Zoom um, from the Common Cause uh, Beyond Sustainability Conference here at UW-Green Bay. We've had stuff going on all week. This is my second live podcast of the week. We did Cannonball yesterday. We had an amazing keynote last night from David Belker, which is going to be, by the time this, this episode drops, that'll be available via YouTube for people who want to check it out. Um, things are going pretty well as far as the conference is. I'm, I'm really enjoying it and liking things a whole lot. So how about you? Me too. I, I have learned a lot. I really enjoyed your uh, Cannonball podcast about JAWS. It sort of uh, reinvigorated my, my total absolute fear of sharks. And um, so I've been thinking more about sharks in the last 24 hours than I care to ever think about sharks again. <laughs> um, but you know, thanks for that. Sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. As far as I'm concerned, it's, there's no such thing as thinking too much about sharks. So, but, uh, but I get it. I get it. That's not for everyone. So, speaking no, of which, I, I know, I know Chris Vespia is in the audience. And so I want to show, I have the hammerhead shark that she gifted me <laughs> over the break. So, um, very much, very nice. Thank you, Chris. Um, so let's, uh, here's the deal. Oh, oh, you know what, actually real quick, let's, uh, let's talk to Hunter for a little bit. Hunter, this is uh, his last episode with us as our intern. It's been an amazing, amazing semester. How's it going, Hunter? Oh, it's going wonderful. I am so, so sad it's my last episode though. Working with you guys has been great. Some of the best people ever. Oh, that means a lot. We have really loved the work you've done. We're really, really thankful for, uh, for everything. Um, this has been a, a fun semester and you've done great work. So thanks for everything you've done. Yeah. And I'm almost like tearing up here. Like this is no way to start a, a live episode. So, um, but it has been uh, great fun. So we will miss you Hunter, but I, I see that um, Kelsey is also in the audience and Kelsey will be taking over as the intern in the spring semester. So shout out to Kelsey and you'll be hearing from her in the spring. Very cool. So here's the deal, Georgina. Um, you're not only a host today, you are also a guest, right? So we are talking about um, uh, the sustainability and that is 100% your expertise. And so instead of bringing someone else on, we decided, nope, we've got the expert right here. Let's, uh, let's talk with her about things. But here's the deal, I wanna give you the kind of introduction you deserve as one of our guests. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna break out uh, that kind of introduction. Are wow. you ready? I'm, I'm drum roll. <laughs> Very nice. Our guest today has a PhD in social ecology from the University of California, Irvine, and has been interested in the interdisciplinary field of environmental psychology for more than 25 years. 
Recently, she has been teaching the popular conservation psychology course here at UW-Green Bay, looking at ways in which psychology can save the planet. It's Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungess. How's it going, G? It is great. It's great to be a guest um, as well as a host. And I, I really, I appreciate the introduction. And it is true that uh, I've been doing this work for a really long time. I've been a professor here for 26 years. And so um, my PhD is in a weird, um, weird major called social ecology, which is not weird to me, but it sounds weird to others. Uh, but it's such a fascinating field where we often think about ecology and we think about, you know, trees and, and uh, birds and, and animals and things like that. Uh, and we hardly ever imagine ourselves as humans as part of that equation. And so <clears throat> my degree in social ecology was all about um, bringing humans into the uh, ecological perspective about how we think about our world. And I, I can't imagine how we would not consider ourselves part of the ecology of our planet. Right, yeah, I mean, it would be wildly naive not to. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things that I, and I, I mentioned this a little bit in my, my intro last night to the keynote, this idea that, you know, I think there's sometimes there's a little bit of pushback to the idea that our college or even our field in psychology plays a role in um, sustainability efforts. And to me, that feels also wildly naive. And I think psychology in particular at this point, when we look around and see, you know, the, the, in many ways, the science and technology to solve the crises we face, and they are crises, that technology exists. The science is very clear. What we're missing is the human desire to make changes. Um, and that falls squarely in the wheelhouse of psychologists and social ecologists and others with similar expertise. And so that's really what I, how I wanted to, to spend today and, and talking about what that expertise looks like, what are some things that, that people in that area do. Absolutely, and I think when I, I think about, we want to uh, have people change their behavior. We want them um, to act more sustainably or beyond sustainability, like maybe even like um, promoting more than just sustaining the status quo, but actually getting better. And I think who better to help humans change their behavior than psychologists? Because that's kind of what we do. That's right. kind of our specialty is changing human behavior and um, helping humans uh, understand and learn and then change and act uh, in response to that. And so I think people often think about uh, climate change and the climate change crisis, like you said, as a, a very distant, removed from them kind of thing, like, oh, it's happening but it's not happening to me. But I feel like um, the, the changing climate uh, is impacting our mental health as well as the health of our planet. And that's really an important thing to think about too. So, so oh, go ahead. Nope, you go. Uh, so I've never taken a, a course in conservation psych and I imagine most our listeners have not um, and, and probably 
several of the attendees have not. So give me the, some of the core points you make, like what, if you were to, if you were to boil that course down, which is probably 14 weeks into uh, <laughs> a, a 10, a, just a, a couple of snippets, what would you, what do you talk about? Well, um, the first thing I wanted to, to say is that um, psychology is a science. And so as a psychological scientist myself, I think that a lot of the work that we do is about research. And the research that we do as environmental psychologists or just psychologists <laughs> uh, is very applied. And so if we want to change people's behavior about um, how they use energy, let's say, like we want to reduce people's use of energy, what's the best strategy uh, to change people's behavior regarding energy? Like something as simple as unplugging your cell phone charger every day. That's like a, a really simple behavior. And it, it takes no, hardly any effort at all. And it is a, a sustainable move. It's a, it's a small thing that you can do. So like, how do we convince people that that's an important thing to do, that small changes make a difference, that one single human can make a difference in this huge, massive problem. And so I think that the research shows that there are ways in which we can influence people to make those small changes and make big changes as well. But it's really complicated because other research shows that if you nudge people, that's what they call it, they call it an, an ecological nudge, like, oh, do this one little thing. We're going to nudge you to do one little thing that the research shows that people think I did one thing and now I'm done. And then they don't do the bigger things. And so it's like this balance. And we wouldn't know that if researchers weren't studying the ways in which humans behave like that. I'm thinking about the example. In some ways, it feels like one of the goals then has to be to get people to do the little thing without realizing they're doing the little thing, right? So you have to make cell phone cords where it's so convenient that where it's more convenient to unplug them than to leave them plugged in. Because otherwise, because if, if there's one thing I've discovered from asking my kids to turn their lights off, it's that telling people to do something doesn't make them do it, um, that you, you need to find a way to to essentially trick them into it is that true uh, yes and no i think that there are um techno technological uh advances that we've made that sneak uh, in sustainable behaviors without people knowing that they're doing them like packaging of products is a great example of that uh, i'm quite a bit older than you. And so when I used to go to the, um, the record store to buy a CD back in the olden days, when you, it used to come in this ridiculous plastic thing that would like hang on the wall and it had tons of plastic and it was wrapped in plastic and plastic case. And uh, it was really a non-sustainable product. And I, I think about how technology has advanced to make those things way more sustainable. And I didn't do anything. 
(laughs) I just, I go and I buy, well, I don't buy CDs anymore, but if you, if you still did, it would be easy to be more sustainable because somebody else did it for you. But I don't know that that accomplishes um, changing people's behavior. It accomplishes being more sustainable in our world. Well, I guess, so I'm thinking about, I mean, I like to use a lot of corollaries from, from cars, from automobiles, because I, I think one of the things I've discovered is that I feel like car, car manufacturers understand me better than I understand myself and that they know <laughs> what I, what I want, even when I say, I don't think that's a big deal. And then I find myself using it all the time and saying, oh, that's a really cool feature that I never would have asked for. Um, but so car manufacturers in an effort to get people to buckle up, they made tons of changes to, to, to seatbelts and how they worked and how they operated because they knew that just telling people don't buck or you got to buckle up wasn't doing the trick. So they implemented all sorts of safety features in there. Some of which didn't work, including the really aversive noise that was so aversive that people just left their seatbelts buckled all the time. (laughs) So as not to hear it. Um, But you know, that, that in some ways it's about, I mean, it very is, and I know you appreciate this as, a, as someone who used to teach another course, or maybe still does, environmental psych, that it's about changing people's environments to, to encourage them to, to embrace these changes, not necessarily for sustainable reasons, but maybe, uh, maybe, but maybe just because that's the easiest thing to do, and human beings like doing the easiest thing. Absolutely. I mean, that's definitely a, a strategy that um, that all fields to get, you know, making exercise easy. So you have like a, a home gym, like instant, so you don't have to make the effort to leave your house and go to a gym. You can do it in your own house. Like making things easily accessible is a great strategy. Um, something as simple as trash cans um, is a great example of that. People will um, be better about throwing away their trash and even throwing it away properly if there's conveniently located recycle bins and trash cans and um, they're labeled and they're uh, labeled well, it can make a difference. And one of the things I teach about in conservation psych is also about making it fun, not only making it convenient, but making people want to do it. And the trash cans is a great example of that. Um, In my class, I have students redo a trash can uh, to make it more fun and more attractive. So it's a pull instead of a push, like like trash cans are normally gross, but if you make it like Oscar the Grouch and it talks to you when you throw things in, you know, like then people wanna do that or you get, you know, like a dog food dispenses when you recycle a plastic bottle and then it feeds dogs that live on the street. You know, there are many ways to, um, to pull people into doing the right thing because it's either A, convenient or B, fun. Uh, and so those are great strategies. I used to go to this, um, my family would take me to this rafting place near my house when I was a kid called the Apple River. And I, it was like a day of tubing. And, you know, and it, I think when I was a kid, it was a family place. And then when I got older, it was not a family place at all. In fact, I would never bring my kids there. But it was a, a disaster from a littering perspective. I mean, the absolute disaster. And I don't think I realized it when I was little, but that there are just beer cans everywhere. And 
at a certain point, one of the things they did to resolve that was that they put up like basically stations that were basketball hoops and had so for people to throw their their beer cans at. And so at a minimum, you would maybe they wouldn't be in the garbage, but they'd be close to the garbage, which was way better than it had been before that. So. Absolutely. So I think psychologists have such a role to play in figuring out what's the right recipe to attract people to do the right things. And I think um, research is such an important part of that. But I think it's not the only role that psychologists can play because there's a very real um, mental health aspect uh, to climate change that I don't think we really talk about. But I think, I feel like this pandemic has um, made people talk about it more. Um, that in some ways this pandemic is related to climate change um, and that we may in our future endure more of these kinds of events. And the stress of climate change and the impact uh, that the, that climate change has uh, on people and particularly people who are at risk um, economically <laughs> uh, are definitely uh, feel more of the brunt of that. It, it is, mm, um, there, there is a need then for psychologists to play uh, a typical sort of counseling and clinical role in helping people deal with the stressors of climate change, like uh, fires, wildfires in, in California or out west or the hurricane season that we just endured in our south. Wow, it, that was incredible. And not only incredible like um, for physical health, but also for mental health as well. A lot of what we're, we're talking about is Kind of, I mean, it, it makes sense because psychology so often does deal with the individual and with very personal cases like this. But what about, um, what are some, some big picture sort of macro things? What role do psychologists play there? You know, in thinking about sort of what role do they play in, in trying to get a corporation to make a different decision to, in that side of things? Yeah, I think definitely, um, I, I wish that psychologists were always sitting at the table where policymakers are making policy um, because I don't think we take into account the mental health of, our, of the humans on our planet when we make decisions about climate. Uh, we rarely think about the mental wellness of um, people and how they would respond to that policy, whatever that policy might be. And I think it's also important that psychologists advocate for those whose voices are less heard. And I think that's really important as well to make sure that those who are most affected get to have a say. And if they don't have a voice, that a psychologist could have a voice for them or, or help elevate their voice in that. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about something like a hurricane and your house gets destroyed. And um, so there are a multitude of policies that happen in response, uh, largely uh, either medical 
or economic? Like, how can we get these businesses to rebuild and, uh, and, and that sort of thing? I think send all the psychologists now. <laughs> and, and if we get people to a place of mental wellness, then we can start to rebuild the economy. But it, it can't happen the other way. It's not just when we fix the economy, people don't automatically turn to be mentally healthy. Like it, it doesn't work that way. And I would argue too, as we, as we're looking at COVID right now, for example, I think we've really minimized the, the mental health in a, in a side of this in, a, in ways that I think actually are a detriment to the economic side as well. And, and I'm not someone, as you'll see from my, my game later, I'm not someone who's going to prioritize economic conditions over mental health conditions. But even if you did, I think what you see is until, I mean, I'll just use the example of going out to eat. There are people who are simply not going to go out to eat until it's safe. And if you continue to, until you make it safe, the economy is not going to recover, right? And no matter, no matter how badly we want it to, no matter how badly we continue to, to keep trying to, or keep telling people it'll be okay, it'll be okay. This just has to be fixed before that's going to happen. Um, and yeah. I think we also have to think about perception and what I perceive as safe and what you perceive as safe. And that's another role that psychologists can play in this is um, helping um, people communicate um, the, the facts about what's going on. You know, like, is it safe? And why isn't it safe? If it's not safe, then why and helping people perceive it uh, in the same way. A great example of that is we are, we are cleaning out the Bay of Green Bay. Um, we've been working on an environmental project. Uh, and so they say that we're going to be able to swim in the Bay of Green Bay in the next three to five years. And I talk to many people who say, I will never swim in that water because they perceive it as unsafe, even though it may be safe. And I think um, working through that perception and reality, uh, kind of sometimes not quite uh, on the same plane is something that psychologists can help with as well. Absolutely. Wow. So, okay, we're, we're going to switch to our, our activity here in a few minutes, but I guess I wanted to end part one of the show um, with a, so what do you think are some of the most important things for people to know about, like what's the take home message for people to know about sustainability and the role psychologists play? Um, what do you, sum it up for me. I think that you should try and avoid misinformation <laughs> and that perhaps psychologists can help us discern what are facts and what are not. And um, so uh, relying on psychologists as scientists to help us do research and, um, and read and understand that research, talk about that research uh, with your family and your friends uh, and try and um, be a person who talks about uh, information and facts and science rather than um, creating fear or um, misinformation uh, kind of thing. And I also think if people are struggling to encourage them to seek help 
Um, and so that might be uh, a professional psychologist, uh, a counselor or a therapist. I would encourage people, and I know there's a lot of stigma around seeking help, um, but I think that, that if we can encourage each other to seek professional help when it's needed um, and when you're feeling stressed uh, and anxious or depressed uh, uh, about what's going on in our planet, uh, that you would seek help. And I think that psychologists play a, a clearly an important role in our mental health as well. Yes, I would absolutely uh, agree with all of that. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I think one of the things you just said about the misinformation piece is, is really troubling to me. In fact, uh, I don't know this for sure, but we may be dropping some hits. Jeez, wow. We may be dropping some hints as to what next year's common cause is, because I think we've seen such... Uh, I think the misinformation as it relates to the pandemic, I think the misinformation as it, um, as it speaks to climate change is, is really troubling um, and really problematic. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that I've been acutely aware of over the last eight months, but it's been true regarding environmental destruction for probably over a decade, um, is that some of the, much of the problem is that people simply don't know what to do because they they get you know some of it is just the information they're getting and what is accurate what they perceive as accurate and what they are being told and um you know i i think we're seeing i'm seeing the the chat light up here with comments about echo chambers online and things like that and i mean you're you're absolutely right i mean that's a big piece of of what is going on is you know, you see it as something as simple as whether or not wearing a mask saves lives, right? We, we know it does. We have scientists who have answered that. I think the last count was that there are 78 uh, peer-reviewed research studies on this topic, all of which find that it, but that hasn't changed the, the narrative in the minds of many people. And it's, and it's that misinformation piece. I think it's it's also very easy to doom scroll through social media and uh, and I've been a, a victim of this as well um, and you know and I am a psychological scientist <laughs> like I know better but like it's it's still it happens to me and I think oh you know and then I get anxious and so I I get it. I am not faulting anyone. Uh, it's easy to to really fall into that trap, and that's why I think we we need um, each other, and we need science to help us get out of that. Very, very true. Um, okay, should we uh, should we switch to part two here of what we're doing? Today? Yes, yes, okay. I'm super excited. All right, I am too. So actually, real quick before we do though, so uh, a thing people should know, I'm calling a little bit of an audible, Georgina, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I, um, I, we end a lot of our episodes, as you, as you may know, with a, a positive note, right? Like a piece of good news, something that we're excited about or happy about or, or things like that. Um, and here is what I would like to do is, um, I would love it if, if you all at home watching would drop a piece of good news in the chat for us. Just something that we can, it doesn't have to be much and you certainly are welcome not to, but just some cool thing that's happening. We can talk about it or, or, or throw it out there as an example. And I'm gonna come up with my own too. So 
Um, so give me a, do that for me and we'll, we'll revisit that when we get to part three here. Um, all right, you ready to talk about part two? I am, I'm super excited. <laughs> Good, are you so excited that, so I can explain it, are you so excited that you wanna go first? Yes. Okay, good. So, oh, all right. Part two uh, is actually inspired by two of our guests in a, in a recent episode, sort of indirectly. So uh, doctors Julie Case and Chris Williams, they came out a few weeks ago and they talked about gamification. They talked about um, mostly, I think, video games at the time. They were also on an episode of Cannonball where they talked about board games. And um, one of the things that was said during that got me, got both of us thinking, and that is um, that uh, Chris Williams said, uh, name a game from our childhood and there is now a better version of it. You know, and so he pointed to something like Clue, which has been upgraded to a game that is actually sitting on my counter over there. Um, Mysterium, I haven't played it yet. Um, he, he talked about some other uh, risk has kind of turned into a game called Pandemic, I guess, which is also sitting over there. Um, and <laughs> I haven't played that one either. But um, the so we decided we wanted to upcycle some games. We wanted to take games from our childhood we're going to make them better. Um, and so uh, and we're going to make them better with uh, an ecological theme. So take it away, Georgina, with your game that you're All right. And so I, I'm going to fully fess up that there are actually uh, lots of uh, ecological games that have been upcycled from other games. Uh, particularly Monopoly has been um, Ecoopolied uh, several times, and I would encourage you to check that out and uh, think about maybe playing those games with your family. Uh, they are really cool, but uh, the, the two games that we are upcycling, I don't think have been upcycled. So uh, the game that is, is not really a board game, it's a card game. I am upcycling Old Maid, which is a terrible, terrible name for a game and a terrible like thought probably like like that you um you want to collect pairs or um four um four cards that are alike um by passing cards around with the other players but you don't want to be caught at the end of the game with the old maid in your hand and there's only one old maid uh in the in this game and i've always hated this game and i i hate the, the notion that the old maid is the negative one of this. And so uh, I am going to rename this and upcycle this as the guzzler. And so the guzzler is the, um, the, the, the nemesis in this, <laughs> in this game. There's one card that is the guzzler. And I imagine them as a, a person who takes like 30 minute showers and drives a really not gas um, conscious very car who litters out the window and um, just uses all the energy, leaves all the lights on all the time. Um, this is the guzzler. And so this is the, the car that you want to avoid. And then the other cards, the, the good cards in the game that you want to match are based on four different ecosystems. And so part of the education of this game is figuring out which cards go together to create these ecosystems. Like for example, um, the ocean as an ecosystem has a sea turtle, a shell, a whale, and a piece of coral reef. And so when you get those cards, you will um, learn 
about how they go together in the ecosystem and lay them down as matches. Or um, the Arctic has an iceberg and a polar bear and a snow-capped mountain and a penguin. Uh, so like that's another example. And so that's my upcycling um, of Old Maid to the Guzzler. I like that a lot. I especially like that last little twist that I wasn't expecting of the the ecosystem matching piece. I didn't uh, I didn't think about that. So very nice. That is cool, cool, cool. Yep. Well, so it, it can be a little bit of an education as well, right. Like right. especially for smaller kids, but it could work for adults too. <laughs> well, so mine is also inspired by something that was said during that um, that episode, and it is, and I actually I admit I, I don't remember um, if uh, if this was during this epi the our episode or if this was during Cannonball. But at some point, Julie Case said the words "life is the worst," and she meant the board game, by the way, not that life is the worst. But <laughs> so. Um, if you remember the board game Life, um, and it was one that I played a lot. I actually think I play this a lot with my dad. And um, and here's my 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 thinking about this game is I had to remind myself what it what it was. And so I went and actually watched a, a YouTube video on this earlier today. And I think that game has already been upgraded a, a few times. And, and but I wouldn't necessarily call them uh, upgrades. Um, but uh, basically. The object of the game life is that the player with the most money wins at the end, right? at the end, right? And so in some ways it feels a little bit like Candyland and that it's like you spin a spinner and you go put in a number of spaces and you, 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 by the way, the weirdest thing about this game is that if you pass a payday, you get paid, but if you land on the payday, you get double your pay, which is not at all like life. It's not like if I go to work on payday, I make twice as much money that I otherwise would have, right? Maybe so, we should. <laughs> that would be great. Um, so, uh, there's, you know, there's these action cars where you get sued and maybe lose, or maybe you sue someone else and you win, right? Which is, I mean, I know people get sued, but it's not like that's a daily occurrence in my life, but I'm just like, suing people and getting sued. But, um, so, um, there's all these gambling opportunities. It's kind of a weird game. I, I like basically where it's like you land on a spin to win and you can put money down and, and then you make money, I guess. Um, and part of what is weird is, and why I want to fix it, is because there actually isn't as much choice in it as you would think. Like, I think in the modern version, like, you can choose whether or not you want to, um, like, have a pet, but only if you land on the, can you get a pet space or something like that, right? So you can go to night school, which is a new addition to the game, but then you don't get to, if you want to change careers. So that's actually kind of interesting, right? Like, you know, midlife, you decide, I want to go back to school. That's great. I don't know why it has to be at night, but, um, <laughs> but then you don't get to choose what that career, the new career is. So I'd say you could in some ways end up worse off or just with something random. So I don't like any of those things. So I'm going to, I'm going to upcycle this game where we're going to do a couple things. We're going to, we're going to add a little bit more choice uh, into the mix here. Um, we are going to, uh, we're going to change the outcome. So we no longer care about how much money you make, um, but we're gonna change the outcome and we're gonna actually include a couple of different, uh, and I haven't worked out the weighting here, but we're gonna have like kind of a weighed outcome a little bit because um, there's three things that we wanna combine. One is um, minimizing your carbon footprint. 
So we want you making choices uh, and we're, um, where, where you're minimizing that footprint as part of those choices. But we also want to try and increase joy and happiness. So that's another indicator is doing things in the game uh, that make you happy. Um, we are also going to do um, something related to influencing others in a positive way is our third uh, thing. So having a positive impact on the, the surroundings. And then here's the thing, and this is also a, a Chris and Julie uh, element, and that is we're going to make this game a little bit collaborative in the sense that we're going to, your success is going to be based at least in part on the success of other players playing the game. So you'll get a chance to make choices that help the person you're playing with. Um, and, uh, and if you help them along the way, then you also benefit from that sort of helping. I so, love this. Oh, well, good. It sounds fun, kind of, doesn't it? Let's so, market it. Let's go. Yeah. Bye, so, everybody. We're going to go yeah. and make this game. <laughs> the thing is, I didn't want to eliminate, um, I didn't want to eliminate uh, chance from things because we know that you know there's there's still chance in life bad things happen and good things happen that we can't predict or plan for and so there's still a spinner and so there's still opportunities but when those opportunities present themselves you have choices that you can make and those choices could lead to maybe you you find yourself in a position of hey i could um i'm going to pick a really egregious example here but i could go on a cruise and that cruise is going to increase my happiness but it's also going to take a toll on, on my carbon footprint, right? And it's not necessarily gonna help anyone, the other people. Um, you could take a job, for instance, that is going to, so there's still money in the game because you still have to be able to pay for things, but that's just not the outcome that you, you are caring about at the end. So, you, you know, you, you might take a job, but, but the, that, that job, part of what you, you get from it is the ability to help people with it later on, right? So if you're an attorney, great, but then later on, you get to make decisions about how you use those skills uh, as an attorney. I love this. I think it's great. Awesome. I, I, I may not have the tech skills to put it into practice. So we're going to have to get someone. I hope someone's listening. Here, here's all I ask. I don't need money uh, for that idea. <laughs> I, I need it to be when it's mass produced, which it, of course, will be. I need whoever's listening to this who, who steals this idea and runs with it to... Um, to make sure that the version of it is like ecological, uh, make sure that the version of it um, benefits and makes people happy. And then if you wanna throw some credit my way, that'd be great. There you go. I think Boom. it's perfect. And I, I definitely think there are ways to produce board games and card games that are more sustainable. And uh, using green practices is definitely something that I think about whenever I purchase um, a game or uh, something. I think about the packaging and I also um, think about the carbon footprint. And so I would just add that in at the, at yes. the end that there are ways to produce these games mm -hmm. that would be great too. This is the bane of my existence, by the way, is um, we're going to quickly go with a negative note before we get to some positive notes here. And that is that at Christmas, when we get gifts for our kids, you know, they package them in such a way that are that, that the goal is to make them look real pretty in the packaging. And they are so difficult to A, open up. There's tons of plastic. There's tons of non-recyclable stuff. It's really frustrating. It takes all the fun out of getting this new toy. 
So I think I've even destroyed, I think I've even accidentally ruined toys trying to take them out of the packaging, which is never a win. So absolutely not. We got a ton of good news here as we finish up. We got some good questions too along the way. Um, you know, I think Chris asked a really good question about um, when, when, when there isn't information, when there is, you know, how do, what do we do? And I think that's a great point. Like science doesn't have all the answers. And we know it doesn't have all the answers. No. Um, it's, yeah. It should, and I wish it did. Um, I think in some ways that's, that's part of the challenge too, is that as scientists, I find myself often sort of tempering my response and saying like, you know, we think this is the case or based on what we know, this is the case, but the other side doesn't do that. The other side, the other side says, this is the way we know it's fraud. We know climate change doesn't exist. And I'm like, well, it probably does, you know? And so it, they come on stronger. Um, Let's yeah, go down the list. Of positive notes in, in there. So I am just going to um, read one. I won't say who it's from, but you'll know when I, when I shout it out for you. Um, one listener's son is in his last year of his PhD program, and this person's daughter got a teaching job. So woo, woo! That's amazing. Good for them. Yeah, we got... Um, uh, another participant got to participate in a panel of the wonderful play Faithfall. That's actually going to be airing. It's going to be streaming uh, this week, Thursday. I think the third. So uh, yeah, Thursday, the third in the evening. You can find it on the Widener Center's YouTube page. Um, that is very cool. Got to participate in that panel discussion. Very nice. And um, there, uh, another good news, I um, that this person's kids were able to return to school this past Monday. Um, so this helps this person be able to do their homework and uh, take a short mental break uh, during the morning as well. And so that is definitely something to be grateful for. It has, it has been challenging, <laughs> it has. <laughs> Absolutely. Another listener says they're participating in a 50 mile frenzy. So it's an event. It looks like get outside, simply run, walk a mile every day in the winter, encourage physical and mental well-being. I can tell you honestly, um, the thing that has really gotten me through the last eight months or five years has been uh, frequent, frequently running. I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, it's why actually I, I told Georgina, I think off air that I ever since that listeners know that I fell down the stairs two weeks ago. And um, I've still been running during that time, but it's been a little bit of a drag because my chest hurts <laughs> so when I breathe too hard. <laughs> so um, anyways, but it is, that is awesome. So 50 mile frenzy, that's a great goal. Yeah, he may have a broken rib, but that's okay. He's <laughs> think still it's bruised. It's fine, it's fine. Um, this, another listener says that they are dropping out of school, which sounds like a bad thing, but actually they are starting a business, which is a great thing. So good luck with that. Very, very cool. Another listener was able to do a Zoom call with their extended family on Thanksgiving. I got to do the same thing. They had not talked with or seen them since before the pandemic. That, that part makes me sad, but it's amazing that you were able to get to do that. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I am super grateful uh, for Zoom and all the other kinds of video chatting uh, to stay in touch with friends and family. It has been quite the... Uh, the positive note throughout this. So 
Well, thanks all for sharing your uh, fabulous and happy news about good things that are going on. Um, and the, the good news that I would like to share is I just, I wanted to give another shout out to Hunter and um, what a great um, creative force uh, he has been this semester for us and helping us come up with fun and cool ideas. And so shout out to Hunter Woodwood. You're my good news this semester. Very good. Well, you stole the, the some really good news that I now can't use, but thank you for that. I'm actually going to steal. I had a really nice um, Thanksgiving Zoom call with my family as well. It was really fun. We don't get to see each other very often, period. Um, but we, uh, but during the pandemic, it's been non-existent uh, other than me visiting my mom every now and then. So um, it was really, really fun. Great stories and um, really easy to schedule this time around. Normally it's hard to schedule, but since no one's allowed to leave, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was really easy. So um, very good. Yeah, I also I do want to thank Hunter. What um, what a treat it's been to work with you. Um, and you can see, I guess, G, before we go, any final thoughts? We're finishing up the season, so make them good. Yeah, I I just I think we've we've gone on such a journey this semester. I've learned so much, um, you know, about sort of industrial organizational psych and interviewing and um, gamification and teaching about race and racism in the classroom and sports psychology. It's just, it's just been an amazing semester. Yeah, I agree. It's been actually, it's funny as you were going through those, I was like, oh my God, we did do that. Like that is a thing that happened this year. So we, um, time works differently in the pandemic. Things, some things seem like they were just yesterday and some things seem like they were decades ago. And I don't really understand why or, or when that happens, but um, no, it has been a, a treat and I'm super excited. We're going to be off for probably about a month here, um, maybe a little longer, um, and then we'll be back actually two months. So we'll be back in uh, probably late January with more episodes and um, a new intern uh, who is also going to be great and um, all sorts of new guests and plus some old favorites, I hope. So very, very cool. Um, if you want to see Hunter's work, you can see that uh, at Psych and Stuff on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that's a good place for you to ask questions, request topics for episodes, contribute to our new segment, A Positive Note, which our people got to uh, contribute to today. Uh, you can follow me at RyeCMart. I'm really trying to step up my, my social media game. So please play along, be kind uh, as I try and figure it out. You can also follow Georgina at G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D. And do check out Ryan's book that is coming out in January, right before uh, the next season's episode. So um, Why We Get Mad is coming out January. January 12th. 12th, yeah. there you go. So check that out when you're checking out the social media presence there. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. It's going to be fun. I hope we can talk about it in an episode in the in the spring at some point. So, um, yeah, thank you for that uh, for that plug. I appreciate it. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. The executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Barley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick. Our sound engineer for this episode is Sarah Miller, and our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlees. Our intern is Hunter Garretts. Special thanks also to our guest today, Dr. Georgino Wilson-Dungess, who is also a host. 
If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungess. Keep being amazing. Oh, 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 o